Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to You Are Okay, Mrs. On a mountain, in a valley, I behold only God. In hardship, I see God by my side. In ease and well-being, I behold only God. Like a candle, I melted. Amidst the sparks of the flames, 
I behold only God. Rabia is a mystic, a uh, Islamic or Muslimic, whichever word you prefer, saint, and a Sufi prophet. I choose Be Still Thy Soul for many reasons, and we will talk about some of those reasons next week, but not this week. One of the things that Be Still Thy Soul says that rings and echoes in my body is be one source of light. It doesn't say be the source of light, like what I think is be all and end all. And this week, I want to start by apologizing a bit for the quality of the recording last week. Uh, This is my fourth time, I believe, not using a microphone, but talking to my computer. And last week, I got the music all off. And so there are times when my voice is drowned out. And there are times when uh, I'm, you can't hear me at all, or it's coming through mumbled. And that's not what I intend. I listen to these shows to make sure that they are clear and succinct. This is my 45 minutes to be a messenger for all that is the divine one. And I want to do that well. I thought when I listened to last week, what happens is a reflection of what happens with me when I do this show. I don't have a lot of words. Uh, written down, and there's an element of impromptu. In other words, I let the spirit speak through me. In the course of last week, I was speaking an awful lot about myself. And I realized many of you don't know me at all. And that's okay, because I'm not looking for fame. I'm not looking for disciples. I'm not looking for self-aggrandizement or stroking my ego. Now, that doesn't mean it doesn't stroke my ego a bit when you are listening to my show. And when I look at the statistics and I see where people are coming from and listen to my show, that amazes me. But that's not, it's not so much about me because I'm just a messenger. But it's about saying the words that I feel moved to say. And so I thought today, because obviously we have a very, very short description of the episode, the least among you can do what I do and more. Actually, the saying uh, is, and greater things. And that's was something that John says that Jesus said. You can look at John 14, 12 for that. So I'm trying to help you recognize that God is with you and the potential you have to help wake people up and recognize that we are spiritual beings on a human journey. So, who am I? Well, I'm 71 years old. I may have said that before. I come from uh, two families that had heightened six senses. I'm not quite sure what that means in terms of everyone else, because I can't speak for them. I can speak for myself. I sense things. Sometimes I sense things that listeners are thinking or or feeling, and I've had people call in and want to talk about those things. You know, I'm willing to do that, but 
I almost want to set up an appointment, not so I can collect money, but so that we can keep delivering the message and not get sidelined in someone's pain, which is usually what people want to know. What does the future hold for me? Uh, I'm not going to say that, and I'm not sure I know that. But what I do know is that I started my life as a devout little United Methodist. So I was a Christian. And the Bible Belt, I think the northern half of it ran right down the street in my grandparents' home in West Virginia. I was not always taught to love everyone. My grandfather was someone that people would cross that Bible Belt to come and see when they had some emotional issues, and he would help them feel the presence of God in their lives. One time I asked him, how do you heal those people? And he said, I don't. I think I may have mentioned that last week. But in any event, um, I'm lucky. I am so lucky, and I don't know that I realized that uh, until maybe 20 years ago. I've never, for even a second, doubted God. I've known that God is there for me, just as I know God is there for you. But I got a little nervous at times when I would find myself paying attention to things that other religions were saying, because that's really kind of verboten. And although I would hear from the pulpit, the least among you can do what I do and greater things, I did not quite get it. And certainly the minister didn't want me to get it because the minister wanted to tell me who I was, what I should believe, and how I should leave my life in order to be to glorify Jesus. And certainly, I'll tell you what, I think Jesus was a phenomenal, very brave messenger. I really do. And in those days, I absolutely felt that way too. But as time passed, I started getting older and able to listen to the messages that were coming from uh, across the pulpit. And I heard an awful lot of judgment. Gay men were being coming in uh, and saying, being gay is a choice and it's a sin. And it's like, what? But I didn't see, in all honesty, I didn't see businessmen coming in and saying bad business practices, cheating someone is a sin. Yet that's mentioned more time in the Bible than homosexuality. As a sin. So I was very active in my church. I helped with the youth ministry. I sang in the choir. I did the liturgy. I was the head of the pastor parish committee. And as I looked out, I saw the number of people there dwindling. And it made me recognize, I think, at least subliminally, now I recognize what it was, that somehow our message is not re reaching people. So 
I was going home Sunday after Sunday after Sunday with a migraine headache. And I noticed uh, that the migraine would start because almost inevitably, it's weird, this is really a weird thing, uh, you know, I would read the liturgy and I would think, oh my gosh, this is what I just read in that Gideon Bible in the hotel room in San Francisco or in San Diego or in San Jose or Sacramento uh, or Merced. It was like, wow, this is the same passage. And whenever I would read these passages, I do this trick that my mom taught me, which is open the Bible, let it open wherever it wants, then put your finger down. And whenever I'd read those, I would read them with such different ears than the minister. So after a while, I realized that he and I, as dynamic a Christian speaker as he was, had a dramatically different vision of God. And about the same time, I met this really remarkable uh, Jewish man. And we talked. And he said to me, you should come and meet my rabbi. So I went to meet the rabbi because I walked away from my church. I just was looking for answers. What's the real thing? Even though I grew up in this home where I could see the miracles of God around me and I knew there was a God, I wanted to know what was I supposed to do. So I went to this rabbi, beautiful, beautiful man, very exciting day the first time. And he explained to me he wasn't really supposed to be left alone with a woman, but it didn't really count anymore because he was getting old. And his wife came in, and she had the most beautiful eyes. And I believed that I was going to learn something from the rabbi. And I learned beautiful stories, and I would tell them to you periodically. But... One day, he, it was coming up on Passover, and he gave me a cookbook. Now, to that point, we had been studying religious texts. And, well, yeah, religious texts. And it was interesting to me what I learned. I learned the story of uh, Ishmael. And I may have told it to you already, but I'm going to tell it to you now because it's, it's simple. And it has a lot to do with the rest of this program today which is about recognizing in the now your importance. So Ishmael uh, is a story of a very wealthy, wealthy Jewish merchant who came to the rabbi and said, Rabbi, I want to understand suffering. Now, most of us have experienced enough suffering in life that we don't need to have a lesson or have a visual, an example, but this rabbi asked for that. And it was given, or excuse me, this merchant asked for that of the rabbi. And the rabbi told him, you need to talk to Ishmael. So the man went out and he followed the directions the rabbi gave him and came upon this tumbling down shack with children running around excitedly and happy outside, and a disabled man in the front trying to do some repairs, to repair something that was probably beyond repair. So the merchant came up and he thought, well, I'll just ask this guy where uh, Ishmael is. 
And he did. And the man said, well, I am Ishmael. And the man was so totally taken back that he said, oh, well, the rabbi told me I should come see you. Well, that piqued Ishmael's curiosity. But he was used to being put into the pecking order that we see here in the United States and may exist everywhere. He wasn't really worthy. Not yet. He wasn't really worthy to find out why the rabbi would send this. What could he tell this man? So they talked and Ishmael noticed that on some level, they were having an equal conversation, something he wasn't used to. Something many people are not used to. They're being used to being talked down in church and elsewhere. And so Ishmael's wife came to the front stoop and said, oh, lunch is ready. And Ishmael looked at his new friend and said, please join us. And inside, and I'm pretty comfortable. I told this story about two or three weeks ago. They, there was a table set with a big pot, and in the pot was one potato. There were plates around for all the children, none for the wife. There was a chair set presumably for Ishmael. And as they came in, Ishmael directed the guest to sit in the chair. When everyone was seated and had given appreciation to all that is, to the divine one, Ishmael's wife began to serve and the potato, the single potato was put into the guest plate. And everybody ate and they're drinking uh, the broth and they're eating bread and it was a very happy time, a lot of talking. Finally, Ishmael felt brave enough to say, why did the rabbi send you to me? Because he was nervous. He didn't think he could show this man or give this man anything that he didn't have from his obvious wealth. And the merchant looked at Ishmael and said, the rabbi told me that you could teach me about suffering. Ishmael's eyes got really large and he said, oh no, not I. I can't teach you about suffering. I don't know suffering. Look around you. I have a beautiful house over my head with a wife and children. And now I have a new friend and we had enough food to share. I don't know what suffering is. That story ripped my heart, and I do use it often in the radio program. But as time passed, after I received the cookbook, oh, the other lesson the rabbi taught me was about perception. So I would fly down, and he was in Beverly Hills. So I would fly down to Beverly Hills. I lived in the Central Valley. I drive from the airport and I would go for my lesson in Judaism with the rabbi. And it seemed like at the start of every every session, the rabbi would talk to me about this party that was going on in Israel. And the party would be described from the perspective of one person 
who was invited and one uninvited guest. And as we went through each person, I noticed that they were at a different party, just like the suffering. They were at a different party. And as time passed, I came to recognize that each one of us has a perception of what's happening right now. And I've said this to you, and that perception varies from time to time. It's not always the same. In some ways, it may be the same. In some ways, not. For a brief period of my life, uh, I did, uh, I represented insurance companies in insurance defense in traffic accidents. And I would notice that there could be 17 witnesses and not two of those witnesses saw the same thing. So in essence, there is no singular truth. And what may be fake to one person is very real to another based on their life experience and what they see and what they know. They live. So after a period of several would always send it to Israel in my name. And in those days, there was a lot of fighting and killing and mayhem going on in Israel. There may still be. And that's not who I am. So with my Passover cookbook, my enlightened consciousness, I moved on. And as time passed, I came to recognize that there is not one way to God, but there are all ways to God. I came to recognize that each one of us is one source of light. I've come to recognize God does not forget us, but we forget God. And that God, like a, using the analogy of the parent, which I don't think is quite right, but God, like a good, loving parent, loves us unconditionally and never leaves our side. God is there to guide us. Now, last week, I don't know that I was so clear in that message, and it felt like more I was feeding my ego, which was not my intent at all. I'm no different than any of you. We are equal. I'm not more and I'm not less. The fact that I had the benefit of a spiritual upbringing is a blessing for me and certainly affects my perceptions. The fact that I believe that some people keep their foot on the other side and they have heightened obligations, heightened purposes, doesn't mean they're special. In fact, I resent the idea that somebody would say you have a gift not a gift, a responsibility to stay attuned. As I said last week, to keep your eye on the ball. And the ball is love. Bouncing around, being thrown around, being thrown over the heads of many, being occasionally snared by some, and people envying that and wanting the ball back. And that happens because people don't recognize the ball is with them already. 
every day. So last week, we talked about some of the pressures and how to deal with stresses associated with all that is going on right now, how to come out of it a stronger light as opposed to a dimmer light. Now, it's tough now, and I'm going to tell you that because this last week, I said something on social media about a man who happens to be our president. And I was accused of hypocrisy. Maybe, Maybe I am a hypocrite. It's not that I don't think that that person, it's not that I think that person is beyond redemption. It is rather that I will not bow down in the face of anything that does not represent loving your fellow man. So I must, if that's my area of hypocrisy, that I believe in treating everyone kindly, I will do that. But will I stay silent when I see a force growing minimizes people? on both sides of the question that plays to people's fears that they are not enough and tries to imply that some are more. The old Protestant work ethic. God loves those who are obedient to the Christian word, who work themselves hard and gives them wealth. So if you are obedient to the Lord's words and you work yourself to near death and you're exhausted, under that theory, which was at the base of our country, under that theory, God doesn't love you so much. But I'm here today to tell you, and I will tell you Sunday after Sunday, God loves you. And if you haven't been able to work and you're homeless and you're on the street, God loves you. And if you have worked and you've received a multitude of riches, be wise how you use those funds and ask yourself what your purpose is. But God loves you. You are enough. And if you lose all that wealth, like Job, Even if it's not restored, you are loved. You are not alone. God is with you. God loves you. When I was a lawyer, some people would say, what would you like to do with your life? And I never aspired to be a judge or any of those things. I aspired to do my job well. But what I aspired to do was tell people that God loves them just the way they are right now. So last week, we talked about pausing before you act so that you reflect your inner divine purpose. I'd like to share with you. And remember, it does not matter on any level who your God is, what word you use for God, what matters is God is with you.
your God is always there. So this is a passage from the book, The Shack. It's a Christian passage, and it refers to Jesus, and that's okay. That's okay. What troubles me about Christians today that was not there when I was a kid is, I just thought of, as it was in the beginning, it now and ever shall be, world without end. Amen. Amen. Not full of a lot of judgment. Jesus was the Son of God. Now he has become a God. Much like the Romans would foist up one being as God. There isn't just one God because we're all parts of God. So how do we unite with that? And I think this passage from the shack is very good. I have it marked on my iPad so that I would get to it quickly today. But in the process, I didn't write down the author's name. I do apologize. And if you want to know who wrote the shack, please, and you can't find it by putting the shack in. It's a movie now, so some of you may have seen that. But if you can't find it, send me an email. I'll find it. I'll send you the name. So it starts off with Jesus saying, Jesus is, being, is asking Mac, the human character, the divine being living a life as a human. Jesus has just asked him to step out and walk on water. Once again, the least among you can do what I do and greater things. Will my feet get wet? Jesus says, of course, water is wet. Again, Mac looked down at the water and back at Jesus. Then why is this so hard for me? Tell me what you are afraid of, Mac. Mac says, well, let me see. What, I, what am I afraid of, began Mac. Well, I'm afraid of looking like an idiot. I'm afraid that you're making fun of me, and I'm afraid that I will sink like a rock. I imagine exactly, Jesus said, you imagine. Such a powerful ability, the imagination. That power alone makes you so like us, but without wisdom, Imagination is a cruel taskmaster. If I may prove my case, do you think humans were designed to live in the present or the past or the future? Well, said Mac, hesitating, I think the most obvious answer is that we were designed to live in the present. Is that wrong? Jesus chuckled. Relax, Mac. This is not a test. It's a conversation. You are exactly correct, by the way. But now tell me, where do you spend most of your time in your mind, in your imagination, in the present, in the past, or in the future? Max thought for a moment before answering. I suppose I would have to say that I spend very little time in the present. I spend a big piece in the past, but most of the rest of the time I am trying to figure out the future. Not unlike most people, when I dwell with you, I do so in the present. I live in the present, not the past, although much can be remembered and learned by looking back, but only for a visit, not an extended stay. 
And for sure, I do not dwell in the future you visualize or imagine, Mac. Do you realize that your imagination of the future, which is almost always directed by fear of some kind, rarely, if ever, pictures me there with you? Again, Mac stopped and thought. It was true. He spent a lot of time fretting and worrying about the future, and then in his imagination, it was usually pretty gloomy and depressing, if not outright horrible. And Jesus was also correct in saying that in Max's thoughts of the future, God was always absent. Why do I do that, asked Mac. It is your desperate attempt to get some control over something you can't control. It is impossible for you to take power over the future because it isn't even real, nor will it ever be real. You try to play God, imagining the evil that you fear becoming reality, and then you try to make plans and contingencies to avoid what you fear. Yeah, that's basically what God is in the kitchen there, was saying, responded Max. So why do I have so much fear in my life? Because you don't believe. You don't know that we love you. The person who lives by his fears will not find freedom in my love. I am not talking about rational fears regarding legitimate dangers, but imagine fears, and especially the projection of those into the future. To the degree that those fears have a place in your life, you neither believe I am good nor have deep in your heart. Or n- nor know deep in your heart that I love you. You sing about it, you talk about it, but you don't know it. Mac looked down once more at the water and breathed a high, a huge sigh of the soul. I have so far to go. Only about a foot, it looks to me, Jesus laughed, placing his hand on Mac's shoulder. It was all that he needed, and Mac stepped off the boat in order to see try to see the water as solid and not be deterred by its motion, he looked up at the far shore and held the lunch bags high just in case. Feet were wet, but the water did not come up even to his ankles. The lake was still moving all around him and he almost lost his balance because of it. It was strange. When he looked down, it seemed that his feet were on something solid but invisible. He turned to find Jesus standing next to him, holding his own shoes and socks in one hand and smiling. God is in the present and is with you always. God loves you. It's a scary thought sometimes to think that God can love people who are talking hate and vile things, who are driven by fear, and you can tell by their very choices of words that they're driven by fear. But, my friends, control your life. Open yourself up to the presence of God within you. Believe that your divine purpose will manifest itself to you. Believe and light the spark of God within you. Another lesson I learned this time when I studied the Kabbalah, and I probably told you this too, So forgive me for being redundant. I was very moved by the lessons I learned with the rabbi. That all that is, 
was alone in the universe, all that is. It was boring. There was nothing changing, no challenge. Everything just existed. So one day, the Divine One said, hmm, I want to experience things. I want to experience, I'm putting this part into the story, but I want to experience fear. I want to experience pain. I want to experience suffering. I want to experience and understand these feelings. And so the divine one broke itself into billions of pieces which spread across the universe. And those pieces were pieces of God. Those pieces became the mortal beings that we are now on a spiritual journey, or the spiritual beings we are now, human journey, excuse me, I misspoke. But what happened was God thought about it and said, hmm, what am I going to do about this? How do I get all of this organized? And so in that moment and for all time, he took away the memory of those pieces of who they were. And he, they then began a journey to remember, to be loved, to be kind. And when they failed, they failed. That doesn't mean that God stepped away from them. It just means that they and they could choose to learn it or they could choose to say I am a failure and keep going about it over and over and over again but this time allowing their decisions to be motivated not by love but by fear fear of being viewed as a failure is huge huge The kids who don't fail in school get money for their grades. The kids who don't, don't get money. Some of them get punished. Some of them get locked in. They get locked in school. They have to wear crazy uh, signs around their throat. Afraid of that. And it causes one to say, okay, what happens? Well, they got an awful lot of attention. But they're still ill-equipped to live a life of love. Had the people who saw these attempts not succeed, stepped out, offered, and invited the soul occupying that body to learn these things, had those people acted in love, This is not an impossible story I'm telling. I recognize that some will think that they should be laughing at me, but it's not impossible. It's clear that we've ignited fear and hate. I called it hate consciousness last week. In people everywhere. Around the world. How much time do we spend Asking ourselves, are they afraid of? 
Are those fears legitimate? Can we help correct them with love? So what happens when, as we talked last week, you come upon someone and you begin feeling inside of yourself anger and fear rather than rushing to those words and speaking them, pause. How can I respond in love to the fear this person is manifesting to me? I can guarantee to you that your purpose is manifested as love in your life. That is what you are, a messenger of love. You can do what Jesus did and greater things, each and every one of us. When we set aside a fear of not being enough, of not having enough, of not knowing enough, And instead, just focus our energy on igniting our divine spark, our divine purpose. We set ego aside, and we be love. Jesus said, love others as you love yourself. It's more than just your neighbors, folks. It's everyone. Love your enemies. Obviously, I've grown up in a Christian world, so I know more Christian phrases, but that doesn't mean it's the best and right religion. It's one of the newer ones, but that doesn't make it right. Buddha asks us to be in the moment. When they were trying to decide who was going to be the head of the church in China, they invited in all of these people who offered to be the head of the church, and the person who was selected answered this question. Why did Siddhartha come to China? By saying, the sapling little tree, brand new tree in the garden, because of the tree in the garden. In that moment, that tree was beautiful. How often do you spend time looking for beauty in the moment? It's there. It's within you, and you can find it. I believe that. Wow. I think that I may extend these to an hour from now on because I'm at the end of my 45 minutes just about, and the show's going to shut off. And we haven't even meditated together. So we're going to go out with first light, meditating together. And I wish you all, a purposeful weekend and a purposeful week until we see each other again. Let us join together, reaching your dominant hand out to hold the hand of God that is there with you always. Today, I invite you to start feeling the feeling of God's energy so that when you reach your hand out, whether you're in the boardroom or on the street. You feel the presence of God in your life. And you know you are loved and you are enough. If you would also reach out 
with your non-dominant hand and take the hand of a fellow listener's God. And hold that hand in your hand. And notice the similarities, not the difference. In that feeling. Know that you are enough. This is where it gets tricky because I'm recording now and the people who are there are cut off. But what I would like you to do is breathe slowly in. Don't worry about needing another breath. Breathe like a singer because meditation is singing in a choir with God. Feel the energy of your voice filling up with the breath as you move up your calves, up your thighs, cross over to your buttocks, you come to the base chakra and you release your fear. Instead, beginning to infuse your breath with love. Love, feel, filled, fearless breath. Pull your love, filled, fearless breath up to your sacral chakra. That's the area around the pubis bone. That's where your divine purpose is. That's the zone of creativity. Awaken it. Empower it with your loving breath. Pull your love-filled, purposeful, creative breath up to the sacral chakra, the zone of healing. And let's send healing energy out to all of those around our planet whose human forms are suffering. But let's send to them the electricity of our divine love. Reminding them who they are. Reminding them of their value. Reminding them they are not alone, that God is with them. Now pull your fearless, love-filled breath, your creative breath, your healing breath up to your heart. Oh, what a challenge. So many of our hearts are cloaked in a sense that we are not enough, and we just keep adding on the layers to protect ourselves. Let's take those layers off by imagining your God, whose hand you are now holding, and your neighbor's God, whose hand you are now holding, walking toward you and grabbing you in love and holding you and then stepping back and turning their palms face side up, palm palm side up, excuse me. And you taking your hand and slowly releasing all of your self-judgment to them. Feel the light of that action. Now pull your fearless, loving breath, love-filled breath up your purposeful breath, 
keeping your steps singing with God, your healing breath, and your loving breath up to your voice chakra. And ask God, as you know God to be, to help you learn to speak with impeccable words full of love. Now pull your breath. Love feels fearless, creative, purposeful, healing, loving. Breath up to your throat chakra and allow yourself to relax in the presence of those words you've just invited. And know as you pull your breath further up to your third eye, manifest your life purpose that was placed in you by the Divine One at the time of your birth. Manifest that as the person you are going to be in the now. Let go of past ideas about who you are because you are cleansed now. And then let's go to the crown chakra and pull your fearless, love-filled, love-driven, purposeful, creative, healing, loving, forgiving, manifesting breath up and have it join with the breath of God beside you on both sides. Know that you are loved, you are not alone, and you are enough. You can handle what's in front of you without hate and without fear. And you don't have to do this alone, but instead all one with all that is. Namaste to you. May love infuse your life. Next week we'll do an hour. Peace be with you. Namaste.